You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. A paradiddle and a little cymbal crash <laughs> means it's the afternoon. Isn't it funny? It's like a little sonic trigger Yeah, for everybody. Gee, it's a nice afternoon out there too. Hello, everyone. Hard to believe it's midwinter. Yeah, it's nice. It is. It's, um, it's warm. It's warming up, isn't it? You were you are wearing a big fluffy jumper. I have too much wool. And you were carting around a jacket. <laughs> yes. And it's like no, Cameron. No, no, no. I'll leave it. So if you are going out, folks, it's okay. You could almost do um, what Matt Polar Bear Preston uh, Stedman <laughs> does, which is wear a t-shirt. Yeah. I laugh at you. It's fine in here in our little climate-controlled studio. It's nice. Yeah, it is, and I hope it is very, very nice for all of you people out there. What are you doing? You out of bed? Hmm. You having breakfast in bed? Are you in the car? Uh, are you going to lunch? Whatever you're doing. Well, look, we are delighted that you've chosen to join us. Hello, yes. my name is Cam Smith. Across from me, I have. I'm Matt Stedman, not Matt Preston. No, he's been in the news. He has been um, in the news. Topical. Yes, and we're going to actually talk a little bit about uh, some of the topical stuff today. Mm, um, we're facing it head on. Yes, yeah. and we've got the best person around to help us head face that head on. I, I think, think. You, you used the phrase earlier this week. You said to me, Matt. Yes, we need to talk. Yes, <laughs> we need to have a chat. We need Matt. to talk about all this wage theft stuff that's going around yeah. the news and the industry. We need to uh, put the two armchairs next to the fire. Pour ourselves a little Galway pipe. The fireside chat. Fireside chat and um, and just mull these things over. And uh, and we have a man who is uh, the advisor to the industry, a great proportion yes. of the industry, Tony Eldred from Eldred Hospitality. Yes. A.K.A. Eldredo. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's waiting in the green room. I have my back to him at the moment. Yeah, he just gave you a look at that. Yeah, I thought he would. I could feel it. In the back of my head. Ow. Oh, my back of my head hurts. Anyway, Tony's going to have a, a chat to us um, about this issue that is um, is widespread. It's in the uh, news right now, but it's it's, it's topical. It's and been it, going on for years and years in the industry. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to have a bit of a chat about that, and also if we get around to it, we might not have time. Uh, but the acoustics design of restaurants is yes. a time that owners need to um, confront that. Mm. And acknowledge that there might be a problem with some places being just a little bit too noisy for it to be a convivial and enjoyable thing. Yes. Discuss. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which we shall. Yes. Uh, Pat Nurse is uh, in the house. Um, He just reminded me on the correct pronunciation of his name because it's a bit... Well, see, I've been, I've been reading his name in magazines for years. I always thought it was North because yes. that's how I would say, but no, let's go with Nurse. Well, he will be in there to mm. correct you. The creative director of Melbourne Food and Wine has been with uh, Gourmet Traveller for many, many, many years. Yes. Um, is also the chair of the Oceania voting panel for the world's 50 best restaurant awards. Ooh. What do you think we might talk about then? Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, we might have a little bit of a chat there. Uh, Duncan Buchanan, not in the house yet, but we are hopeful that he will be. Yes. Uh, winemaker <laughs> of the peninsula and the Grampians, purveyor oh. of Riesling. Right, yes. Which we give him a hard time about, don't we? <laughs> he's been overseas. He's been all the things he's seen. The seeing, things he's seen, starships on fire. No, that's another thing we might uh, get to a little bit later. Uh, Duncan's had a run-in with an interesting sausage. Uh, vegetarians, we might get you to turn away from the radio when we do that. There will be a warning Yeah, uh, to do that. 
So, yeah, that's the show. And we've also got a little bit of Lou Reed to entertain you. Hmm. Uh, yes. 1586, Matt. Yes. What do you remember? Oh, look. Ah, oh, the summer. It's all a bit hazy. <laughs> it's warm. <laughs> How did your footy team do? 1586. Yeah. Well, uh, on that, uh, on this day mm. in 1586. July 28, 1586. Thank you. Dateline. Mm. The potato was introduced to England. Whoa, what's this then? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I just want they just Maybe we could put it with some fish. They run it up to the king. Huh? Your majesty, your majesty. Okay. Look at this. <laughs> Look what we found. Um, it was claimed that Sir Thomas Harriot introduced potatoes to England on this day. And, uh, yes, and I have a food quote for today uh, from Andy Rooney. I have no idea who he is. <laughs> the biggest seller is cookbooks and the second is diet books. How not to eat what you've just learned how to cook. Huh? Like, That's quite good. I like that. Hey, speaking of cookbooks, it would uh, be remiss of us not to acknowledge the passing of the great Margaret Fulton this week. 94, I think she was. 94 years old, a, uh, a fiercely independent woman. Yes. Uh, a member of the Communist Party. Was she really? Indeed she yeah. was. Uh, indeed she was. Uh, we spoke to Margaret. Can you remember when we spoke to Margaret? Oh, geez, over, a while ago. Over 10 years ago, I think. Yeah, it was on the phone mm. from Sydney somewhere. Mm-hmm. Somewhere North Shorey mm. sort of felt like it had that sort of vibe. Um, and uh, we were congratulating on her time as being one of the doyens of of cookbook uh, writing. and Probably the first here in Australia, would you say? So, I mean, if people who are maybe under 35 might not really be familiar with Margaret Fulton. Um, but yeah, certainly one of the very first before the- Stephanie and her compendium mm. that became the Bible. Yes, um, Margaret had written the previous Bible. Yes, Bibles, Old and New Testament, the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, you know the letters, you know the whole <laughs> uh, the whole thing. And at one stage, one in five Australian homes had a Margaret Fulton cookbook, and we were a different world, a different country in those days. And uh, the wonderful thing about the Australian story is the way that we've gone from such a frightened, inward-looking monoculture to such a global-embracing, cosmopolitan place in such a short period of time. Fulton is part of that escalator. Mm. Cheers. She's, yep. she's one of the ones that said, look, you know, there, there are, I was seeing stuff on uh, I was at Twitter, a page from one of Margaret Fulton's books as to how to not cook... Mm. But eat spaghetti. You know, there was a picture. You put the fork in there. Oh, you spin it around. You oh. twirl it around, and then you get it into your face. I remember being shown that as a kid, though. Like, because it's not. I guess if you're just a skippy, as I was, and, and still yes. am, if, if you're not sort of brought up with pasta, you need to be shown. Yeah, it's funny that yeah, back in the sixties as a nation, we needed to be shown. How to but eat. you know, you, you think about those sort of things before before there were chopsticks. You know, before mm. like she was around when she was telling people about soy sauce. Yes, what is this strange ingredient? Yes, and how do you use it? And don't put it in too early when you do a stir fry, <laughs> as I used to do many many times and go, it's really salty. <laughs> anyway, um, to you, Margaret Fulton. Um, yeah, an acknowledgement of a, an amazing woman, a really, really incredible independent woman. Yes. Uh, and if you think about it, one of the first real celebrity cooks. And enormously influential, yes, over, over that sort of period of the 60s to 80s. Yep. 
God bless you, Margot Fulton. It's mm. about 10 minutes past. We need to get a move on on this thing. Thanks, Bigsy. It's Sunday, and uh, the sun is over the yard arm. We're not going to drink yet, but Duncan Buchanan could be. <laughs> but later. But um, Yeah, but later. <laughs> uh, but someone who has been influencing the way that we eat, the way that we drink. He's, um, oh, what do we call him, um, the gatekeeper in a way, uh, the one who watches over all of us, the industry. Tony Eldred from Eldred Hospitality, a very, very good afternoon to you. Thank you for coming in. Hi, Cam. Hi, listeners. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, actually. Semi-retired, actually. Semi-retired, really? Yes. I perish the thought. Uh, I wander into work and they say, who are you? Oh, my God, <laughs> you. Maybe we could send them out to lunch. Go and review somewhere and do something like that. How many years have you been doing what you've been doing? I've had the business since uh, uh, 1987. Yes. And I've been in the industry for 20 years beyond that. So let's okay. say let's say 55 years now. Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's sort of like dog years, is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 87, God, that's when this show started. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, that's, that's quite a, a while ago. Um, well, let's jump into it. We haven't got a huge amount of time. Wage theft. Yes. Have we reached a watershed moment in this country regarding this... Very, very large problem. No, we haven't. Um, there's more to come. And the reasons are quite complex, and it's very simplistic. You've got avaricious business owners who who actually knowingly set out to, uh, to, to Defraud. Un- underpay their staff. Yes. Um, but you've also got a huge layer of businesses that are that are fighting for survival at the moment, and the owners have a choice of losing their house or or uh, cutting costs wherever they can. And that's how that, tough is it at this uh, juncture in 2019? It's very tough. There uh, simply there are far too many restaurants and cafes. And dare I say, in fact, I'm sorry to just cut across you. Um, have you been saying this for a few years now? Yeah, it's been building for a few years because yeah. the industry is being driven by property developers and not by uh, operators. Every yep. new building's got a hospitality business in it's it. It's funny, there's one just across the road here that uh, is still for lease. <laughs> yes. so, great location, great opportunity. Yeah. Um, and that's how many years is that now, man? It's about three years that's been that Feels space like has it, been empty. It? Yeah, opposite. Okay, but that's just a case in point. So lots of towers going up, lots of lots new of businesses, cafes underneath. When you've got intense competition it holds prices down but at the same time as those prices are being held down all your costs are rising steadily at inflation or above inflation yes so as the industry becomes more and more competitive the profit margins decline alarmingly can i just put something just an alternative view haven't penalty rates just gone down for uh, for certainly for sunday for the weekend Yes, they've gone down, but they've gone down to above where they were in the past. Mm-hmm. In other words, they went up and halfway down, okay. if you like. Yep. Um, so uh, the good businesses, we, we do a lot of larger businesses, and they're doing just fine. It's the smaller businesses that lack economy of scale. I was going to say that, yes. That, yeah. that have and the buying power. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in the larger businesses, the wage theft issue is usually not the fault of the owner. Um, what who's I, who's what, the ones behind the scenes that are driving this thing? Well, what they do is they they set their their key staff very strict financial targets, particularly wage cost targets. And these are the KPIs. 
that yeah. we hear about so much. Yeah. Yep. Now, traditionally in kitchens, commercial kitchens, and I zone in on those because that's our, our opinion that most of these problems are in the kitchens. It, traditionally, you've told an apprentice, you know, you want to get ahead in this industry, it's a 70, 80-hour working week or whatever, and they put them on set salaries or whatever, and the, the chef who has to do that in order to meet his wage cost targets. So... The chef has gone through this himself in or herself in, in apprenticeship, had to work long hours, and they say, well, if I had to do it, everyone has to do it. And it just it was considered the norm that um, you paid them a flat salary and worked them 60, 70 hours a week. And Which is probably the way, if we look back at probably the most celebrated and maybe now, unfortunately, the poster boy for all this, George Columbaris, he was very much that came in as an apprentice and was someone who worked insanely hard and huge hours. Yeah, look, a lot of them on that level have come through that as in their own development. And so it becomes a perpetuating system is what you're saying. It's the culture of a certain sector of the industry. Yeah. I do have one thing. It's come up in the news that they're suggesting that they jail these people. And I have no problem with that suggestion as long as they jail all the bankers and the bloody insurance company people who have done the same thing on a massive scale. I think it's rather interesting that they're picking on the little business owners at this point, but that's just an aside. A good point, a good point. Yes, we have an article that uh, appeared... Oh, was it recent? This is Sydney Morning Herald. Employee Employers could face jail over wage theft under new laws. And ScoMo has said, uh, has put employers on notice that those who exploit workers may soon face criminal penalties. So, yes, there might be legislative changes, but in a very narrow specificity. There's another, is, another issue which does complicate things, and that is the complexity of the award system. There's a huge number of awards that apply to hospitality. And I've had my staff get on the phone and um, ring around to try and find out what the reality is for a certain type of restaurant or whatever. And un- unfortunately, you get different answers from every department that you ring and talk to. You were saying, we were talking uh, during the week, and you were saying 16, yeah, or was it 18 different awards? 16 different 16. awards. And, um, and, but how much, dis- how much disparity is bet- there between these awards? They must be fairly close, I would have thought. Some are close, some are not. Really? Yeah. So which is the most generous? Which well, is I, the award you want to get on then? I couldn't tell you that off offhand. Okay. Right. I just know that when we've researched, we found that nobody really knows or understands what the definitive answers are to which award or whatever you should be using. Hmm. So there is some confusion there, but I don't think that's an excuse for knowingly working people 50 hours a week and paying them for 30 or 40 or whatever. Yes, um, so there's more to come, and there's more to come because of our current economic circumstances that a lot of people will take the risk rather than lose their house. What more is there to come, do you think? Can you be more specific in are there certain groups where it might be coming from or certain areas? or There are journalists around Melbourne who've been asked to target the larger uh, shall we say celebrity areas of the industry Well put, yes And they're currently searching for people who've worked within those businesses for the last five years who may The problem is that there's lots of people who put up their hand and say that I've been underpaid but very few have the pay dockets and the timesheets to prove it 
But wouldn't you just go back to bank statements? Wouldn't they get paid directly into well, accounts nowadays? Well, that proves the amount of money you've paid. doesn't prove the amount of hours you work. Oh, yes, okay. Got it. So the thing is to uh, finding people who actually have the proof because if you strung somebody up publicly and you didn't have the proof, you would have a real problem. Mm. So there a defamation suit in your mailbox pretty quick, wouldn't you? Yeah, we know that there are journalists around who are deliberately hunting certain, you know, celebrity people, etc. Yes, it's, it's a sport at the moment, but you'll find it in catering companies and other areas that aren't as as high public profile. And you were talking to me about a scenario of um, a chef who uh, is working in a place called X. Um, who gets a salary which is a very, very good salary, which then weights down the rest of his whole department. Is that correct? you want to just elaborate on that sort of scenario? Yeah. Um, artistic chefs particularly often hold out their hands for what I would regard as unconscionable amounts of money. Yes. Uh, quite often they want you know $150,000 a year. Now, you've got to sell an awful lot of food to justify that sort of salary, and, and really only the bigger high-profile businesses with a very high customer average spend can afford that. Mm. So the owner, in a desperate attempt to uh, to have cutting-edge food in their place, agrees to pay the salary, but then insists that the chef basically works two jobs. Mm-hmm. In other words, if we're going to pay this sort of money, you're going to be here all the time. You're going to actually... Yeah, and then were, they, were you very fond of that wife? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the chef is going home with a very fat pay packet, while the owner's riding a bicycle home to his rented garret. In most cases, you know. yes. What is a rented garret going for these days? Um, so, but okay. So, uh, what is these days the equation? What should wages be? Um, when a million years ago, I was sort of going through. It was looked at about around thirty percent. Of, of the equation? It's still about the same. Is it uh, around 30? It depends on what sort of business you're running. It, uh, it ranges from about uh, 27 up to mm, 36, 37. <laughs> Fine dining restaurants have very high wage costs. And that's another thing that you brought up uh, is the fact that maybe the chef's menu could be too ambitious and too uh, labour-hungry to produce. Too many elements on a plate that has to be be looked at as well. That's another thing. Yeah, the, once you get up into art food, particularly the the labour intensive nature of producing that food means it's it's very expensive to produce. Yes, and the market sets really the 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 selling price of that food rather than than setting an appropriate margin. So quite often they're selling food with very little margin on it. Tony, in conclusion, are we going to be paying more for what we eat at restaurants because of this? We sure are. I reckon over the next couple of years you're probably going to see about a 20% increase in pricing right across the industry. Matt's gone there. You go. The pen's flying on that one. Yeah. 20%? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. That'll bring things temporarily back to balance. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very big, widespread problem that's been sort of uh, uh, opened up in a huge way in the last uh, few weeks, hasn't it? It has, and it will continue to do that. All right, well, maybe we'll get you back. Uh, come back a little bit, and we might talk about noise in restaurants. I 
That's a, a bit of a pet subject of yours. Love to. All right. Tony, um, thank you very, very much for coming in. Enjoy the rest of the day. You're listening to 3 FM. It is 12.24 and a half. We're going to have Pat Nurse on after this. Chipang, the magic of radio, and we're back, which is kind of nice. A bit, um, of, a bit of Lou Reed. I'm going to be back and announce that little guy. Sure. Uh, the power of positive drinking by Uncle Lou, <laughs> the man who famously, <laughs> when he was uh, uh, rung by someone for a charity that said, you've got to free the, uh, free the whales, and uh, Lou Reed famously said, give me an issue and I'll give you a tissue. <laughs> Which, um, but anyway, that was uh, his. It was sort of like a, how was I describing it? A, sort of like a, a Brooklyn Noel Coward. Yes, you know, his little <laughs> turn of phrases there. But that, my friends, a million years ago when Edith was uh, uh, still in short pants, mm. uh, was the theme for uh, the thinking drinking theme. Yes. Anyway, we'll, we'll hear that later on when Duncan. We might shows indeed. Up. But oh my God, I've been so rude and neglecting our <laughs> guest. He's come in here all the way from around the corner on his bike. Pat Nurse, a very, very warm and hale and hearty welcome to the microphones of 3 FM. How you doing? The carbon neutral Pat Nurse. <laughs> the carbon neutral Pat Nurse. Hello, That's Matt. Right. Hello, Cam. He's Mr. Offset. I am Mr. Offset. Which is kind of nice. You, um, I've been trying to think of a Lou Reed food segue, but all I can come up with is the line... Yeah. That the producer said, I think, when they were at the end of making Berlin, which was, let's wrap this turkey before I puke. Yeah. <laughs> Berlin. Ooh. That's a challenging little album. I remember, <laughs> remember listening to that when I was about 16 and going, oh, my God, I was kind of frightening. You have a um, pasta quote, my friend. I've been, I've been up to my uh, elbows in lasagna for the last several weeks. I perhaps wow. foolishly There's engaged. Theatre of the mind, folks. That's it. That's what a mental it. image. Was, did, was there much tomato sauce? It's still on the ceiling. It's on the walls. Wow. It's everywhere. But uh, my researchers, Cam, have taken me far and wide because I like to be thorough. Mm. Uh, and I've been reading the wonderful Oretta Zanini De Vita, her uh, Can encyclopedia. You say that again? Not not quickly, no. <laughs> no, no um, but, but the, the Encyclopedia of Pasta by Oretta Zanini De Vita, translated I'm... from the Italian by Maureen B. Fant. <laughs> and uh, it contains many, many wonders. And other than that, Miss Fant, how was the bowl of pasta? <laughs> yes. Many wonders, one of which is a quote from the journalist Paolo Manelli. Oh, Paolo, he's good. Writing in the Gazzetta del Popolo in 1934, referring yes. to the already famous lasagna alla bolognese. May I quote? And I, we could get a little bit... I, as if I'm going to say no now. We could get a little bit uh, hardcore history. And I quote. And I quote, in quotation marks. I have read books sacred and profane. I have sought certainties and consolations in a thousand volumes. But no book is worth this volume of lasagna, which is this, which the salacious Bolognese Osti serve. Between the pages, you're going to like this, Cam. Yes. Between the pages is a sticky resin of cheese and a blink of truffles teeming with precious giblets. Skim it. Devour its pages. It is a little Decameron, a handbook of philosophy, a consoling poem that makes us happy, gentlemen. To be alive. Oh, uh, you know, and it, you, we think it's just food, huh? <laughs> you know? And only I think I need it, a cigarette after that. Oh, I don't know. Do. It's like <laughs> carbon neutral. Whoa. 
I need to just wipe my brow. That is fantastic. Um, and uh, again, just uh, what is that book? Because I need to get a copy of this book. This is the Encyclopedia of Pasta, translated for by the, uh, sorry, the Encyclopedia of Pasta by Oretta Zanini di Vita, yeah. translated from the Italian by Maureen B. Fant. Yeah, I'm going to take a picture of it. Um, you, you know what? I've got way too many cookbooks at home. You know, doing doing this job over the years, you know, you get good and bad and... It's a first world problem I can closely uh, relate to. Yeah, it is, you know, and, and every now and then I purge a few of them away. But there is a hole in my library, my friend, for um, an encyclopedia of pasta. It'll change your Especially life. Especially in Illustrated. Well, that's just so you can get all the really the weird ones, mm. you know, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, now, before... I want to talk a little bit because you... My, have been in the northern hemisphere, gadflying around, yes, eating well and all that sort of stuff. And I want to talk a little bit about that. But um, I also want to talk to you with your hat, uh, the chair of the Oceania voting panel for the world's fifty best restaurant awards. Yes, uh, how does that hat look? What what, what is it? It's, it's covered gold. in coconuts. It's bound in spaghetti. Oh, I thought it might have a bit of gold braid on it. No, no, no. Okay. That's, that's the epaulettes. Oh, that's the epaulettes. Yeah, okay. I, well, they'd be good. It's spaghetti epaulettes. Um, what happened to Australian restaurants this year? Ah, oh, look. I mean, it, it, the, the list is a strange and terrible beast. We live by the list, you die by yeah. the list. So I've, I've been you? involved in organising the voting for the list. Well, yes. look, if you can accept the list's you know, glories, then you must suffer also its judgments. Ooh. So I've been involved with organising the, the Australian and the list. exactly the Australian and Oceanic voting of this list mm. uh, since 2006, and I can't claim to have learned its ways in low those many years because it's harder to read than a, an Australian federal election. Mm. It's uh, or, or trust polls, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's... um. You know, it's a thousand people voting around the world on the eight so be- res- eight best restaurants that they went to in the last eighteen months, and that's all they're asked. They they say uh, a third of them are chefs, a third of them are one restaurateurs. Yeah, yeah, thousand and something. Yeah, uh, a third of whom are chefs and restaurateurs, a third of whom are uh, press, and a third of whom are, to quote the literature, well-travelled gourmands, rich people. <laughs> People, yeah, perhaps, yeah. perhaps. People um, who fly in the front of airplanes. You, There's no specification that you have to vote for fancy restaurants. There's no specification that you have to vote for restaurants that are on the list or even the kind of restaurants that are or, on the list. Or, dare I say, if I can just extrapolate a little, little bit more, that you have to vote on restaurants on all parts of the world. You are required to vote for a minimum number of restaurants that aren't in your patch. So... If you were voting... Yeah, you know, if you lived in London, that could mean, you know, probably means the US. Australia does suffer from the tyranny of distance there. Hey, that sounds catchy. I know. I should I know. write that down. We are yeah. the lucky country, but... Oh, wow, that's catchy too. Maybe not so much in terms of being on the way to places that aren't New Zealand. So, yeah. we, you know, we don't catch as many breaks as more centrally located places. But having said that... You know, the list is home to some places that are in pretty small, out-of-the-way places. Uh, Such you know, as Bray. Yeah, well, and even for... Which is even more like a, uh, a, you know, you a layer of, away from... Farvikin in, you know, the very remote Sweden was a regular on the list for a long time. El Bulli on the coast yeah, of Spain. they had a bloody airport right next door to it, really. 
Trondheim. Yeah. Airport. They, yeah, but you could fly in, you know. It wasn't like you had to go by by husky like husky sleds. I am reminded, Cam, yes, in remind- this instance, yes. as I am so often, of the words of the great Winston Churchill oh, really? uh, when he was talking about democracy. He said it's a terrible system. Yes, but... But it's the best the one best. we have. Yes. So, you know, uh, I will say this. My, my friends who run the list, they want the list to be as good as it can be. So mm. if there's a better mechanism than the, than the one that we have at the moment, they're they're wide open to it. But currently, this is the best system we have. I'd love to see more Australian representation on there, though, because I think, and you know, I ate at Attica a couple of months ago, and the irony of it slipping out of the top fifty is, I think it's actually never been better. You know, the food there is yeah, so sensational. It's, it's a hell of a fall too. Twenty eighteen, number twenty. Twenty nineteen, number eighty four. Same with um, um, with with Bray. Uh, what have we got? Fifty eight in twenty eighteen. So as you say, it wasn't in the top fifty, but now one hundred and one. It's a big tumble. It's a big and, tumble. And you know, um, I was lucky enough to eat at Bray this year, and I was I had my socks blown off. Doesn't suck. No, it doesn't <laughs> suck at all. It was uh, amazing. Anyway, so okay, so. How do we summarise that? What have we learned from what we said? It's strange and terrible. Tyranny of distance. Terrible twist of fate. Terrible twist of fate. And it's it's a big globe. You know, people are voting for a lot of restaurants. There's Mm. there's a lot of competition out there. Yes, okay. Well, mm. Um, all right. So um, does food taste better in Rome? Food tastes better than the coffee. We need some sort of international coffee panel because, my goodness, the city of Melbourne. Do we need a Rome intervention? We, I here's a name drop for you, Cam. I was, I had the great pleasure of speaking to Fleur Stud, the founder and owner of uh, the mighty Market Lane Coffee, on Monday night at the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival Rising Stars and Legends Award (TM). Fleur was one of the judges on our uh, Host Plus scholarship this year. It's great. Um, yes. initiative awarding young hospitality geniuses with the chance to represent Australia overseas and then bring their brilliance back to Australia and and uh, enrich our hospitality scene. Anyway, I said to, I said to Fleur, I said, "Hey Fleur, hey Fleur, hey Fleur, hey Fleur, how's Will? Yeah. Um, what Got about cheese? just for shits and giggles? Yeah, opening a market lane in Rome. You know, maybe just for the summer season next year, like." Pop-up Fleur. Pop-up Fleur. Pop-up yeah. Market Lane. Whether the Italians went for it or not, there'd be enough, you know, Australians there yeah, to keep it ticking over. The A.A. Gill once called Australians the great lost tribe of, of Europe. You can't go to a bloody restaurant in uh, Europe in summer without running into half of <laughs> Melbourne, Yes, it would seem. Yes. Uh, so I reckon she could make a buck. And maybe, just maybe, the Romans... Might sit up and take. Well, might how, take do notice. Ruin, how would the Roman in ruin every the way? In wow, every what? way. The, what happened from, from the beans? Yeah. To the milk. How are the beans? To the pre-sugaring okay, nonsense. The, the beans. Well, the beans are robusta frequently. They're. Yeah. I don't know. What, what's well, we're the not point in Vietnam, that? are we? And then they're over roasted. The guys are over extracting them. They're pouring them too long. Oh, well, the Italians are famous. <laughs> I mean, you can still get a, a cup of Brazil Rex up at uh, Pellegrini's in. In the top of Burke Street, and that's that black, dark roast. I mean, it's almost shiny, shiny grains of caffeine. I think the world's moved on on this one. Yeah. You know, and in a lot of Europe... But don't forget, the the Italians don't move on. I mean, the Italian, in a way, that's one of the great 
criticisms of the whole Kachina and the whole thing is that they are caught in this in this thing where they cannot move on. That if you try to add something or change a dish, the fingers come up and they're wagging at you and they're running you out of town. But it's nonsense. It's it's always changing. It's always a living cuisine. You know, you think about some of the things Not like salt carbo, in boca. carbonara, which we think of as a, you know, one, of the, one of the bedrock dishes of, of Italy. Yeah. It doesn't appear in any Italian... Uh, literature before the last century, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not even before World War Two. Okay, you know, so the the valuing of aged parmesan that's only been happening for thirty years, not even. Really? You know, Italy is changing all the time. There's okay. only there's only eight artigianale pasta makers left in the whole of Italy by some counts. There's a Starbucks in Milan, Cam. Stop it! You're hurting my ears. <laughs> I'm just I have to ask you to leave. <laughs> My God, that's just a hair. It, that's profitable. Well, see my comment about enough non-Italians passing through town. Oh, uh, of course, over. yeah, okay. because you know that's one of the great things of Ligon Street. You know, they saw off McDonald's, they saw off Starbucks, and uh, they also saw off Borders as well. But maybe that's just one of those uh, Kazuki's, though. Hmm? Fantastic. Okay. Uh, anyway, back to uh, back to the the coffee. So the beans are over roasted. They're robusta. What else? It's just not good in any way. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, you, you talk about the five M's. I think in Italian, the five M's that make uh, coffee good. Yeah. Macchina, mano, mano, whatever the Italian word is that begins with M. The for mano behind the machino. Mano means hand. Oh, hand. okay. I thought it was like the mano behind uh, the machino. And uh, the Italian word for Beans that starts with M and the Italian word that yeah. stands for the grind. And M. Yeah, Look, they're M. just, they're okay. just buggering, it up, buggering it up top to bottom. Okay. Uh, All right. Anyway, how about the food? Does the food taste better in Rome? Let's, we've moved on from coffee. It's pretty great. <laughs> it doesn't suck. No, it doesn't suck. Uh, I like the Roman adherence to um, serving pasta basically standing up in the bowl. Mm. You know, you talk about uh, al dente, but the thing in Rome is al chiodo. Oh, to the yeah. nail. Actually, uh, <laughs> the, nail. the the great Ronnie D'Astasio is yeah. a, a real uh, devotee of the very al dente pasta. I remember sitting down at um, Chitta, yeah. his and new have, restaurant on Spring Street. Crunchy pasta. Well, the the waiter said, "Sir, we'd like to serve our pasta very al dente." And what was that word you used before? Very. No, the, no, no the, we'll go back, rewind, al, al chiodo, al chiodo. How do you spell to the nail? To the nail. Uh, to the pain. I think there's better qualified people than me to spell that. I'm th- okay. think it's, I think it's C H I O D O. Kyoto. Speak it into Siri. Maybe she'll come up with something. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, but here's my point: that the most of the immigration, the vast majority of, of, of migration that happened post-war in this country was from the impoverished southern tip of Italy. So we're yes. talking about the Calabresi, yes. the uh, Sicilians. Yes. Um, and so, therefore, our uh, cucina or our um, Italian um, food is based on the expression of the southern Italians. And not just the expression of the southern Italians, but the southern Italians at a specific time. Yes. Because if you're, a, if you're an point. Italian visiting from Italy and you go to the States or you go to Australia or you go to any of these places where these emigres went, you might be from that part of Italy, but a lot of this stuff you're like, whoa, I haven't seen it done like that for a while. 
Yeah, well, you know, as, uh, I think I said to a food writer quite a long time ago that Melbourne is almost the 21st region of Italy because of the uh, adherence to the traditions of the past and uh, and how the, even though these things are being a lot of these things are being lost in the on the in the country, mm. they're still sort of being kept here. But I'm wondering if um, if you could comment on the difference between those sort of cuisines and the and the food of Rome, and is it the technique, is it the ingredients, is it the state of mind that makes that different to what we have here? Can we? Do you think we could speak more generally about the difference between Australian Italian food or Melbourne Italian food and Italian Italian food? I'd be delighted, please. You have the chair. I went to a pretty great new-ish Melbourne Italian restaurant the other day, and I really enjoyed it, but it did suffer from the fact that I had just come back from Italy. Yeah. And... I think, and this is a this is an odd complaint, but I think the guys in Melbourne at this particular restaurant had gone out of their way to flavor bomb everything on the menu, so there was no light and shade. Uh-huh. You know, there's a I really like sides in Italian restaurants, pretty much from the the top to the bottom of the Such as? the country. Plain beans, you know, like uh, in Tuscany, yeah, you get a plain yeah, yeah. bowl of white beans yeah. or greens, and they haven't. Or, or done it with a, chili and garlic. They or what about it. a bowl of lupini? Exactly. You know, Boom. they, and like they the Italian edamame. don't feel the need to blast every dish mm. with stuff. Whereas, you know, you've got a dish on the menu that's like this that brings you the big flavor, and then over here you've got the sort of blander, more soothing things. And as a menu, it works. I think sometimes mm. these guys uh, and girls in Australia, whether they're Italian or not, they. Um, think about the dish yes. rather than the meal. Yeah. You know, you know how to cook, but do you know how to dine? And you need light and shade, don't light you? Light and shade. Light and shade, my friend, yes. Chiaro scuro. Ooh, what does that mean? Light and shade. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> hey, yeah. Yeah, what you said. Hey. Hey, what you said. silly, you crazy bastard. Come on. How you been? So, um, high point of um, uh, Roman eating? There is a... It's been a couple of years since I've been in Rome. There is a newish uh, food court at Roma Termini called... Uh, I think it's the Mercado. Uh, Mercato. Isn't, that a, isn't that a play by Gilbert and Sullivan? <laughs> it is. It is. That's a lot of You get a lot of titty pom titty pom with your tiramisu. <laughs> tiramisu, tiramisu. Yeah. Wow, and that orchestra, boy. <laughs> Um, Talk about restaurant acoustics. <laughs> but um, they have a branch of Bonchi. Uh, the finest uh, pizza al taglio establishment known to man. Oh, my God. And uh, Gabriele Bonci, I think his name's Gabriele, he is known in pizza circles worldwide. As the Don. He's the Don. Yeah. He... His food... This is such an Italian expression. I love it. His his bases are very digestible. Yeah. Okay. Is that, that, is that something to do with the 48-hour proof? It is. It is. It's, it's it how is. he sources his grain. It's how he yeah, yeah. does the ferment, the whole bit. Yeah. And, oh, mate. Like, his, his place is over near the Vatican, his, his uh, HQ. And it's not really a restaurant. It's just a, a hole in the wall. Yeah. Um, and the place at uh, the train station is not that much flasher, but it's just really easy to get to. Yeah. And his bread is insane. Yeah. Ah, oh, bonchi. Yeah, because that's the thing that they say. I mean, you know, if you've got people that have celiac and have, you know, all these um, uh, terrible aversions to gluten and things like that, you feed them a good loaf of sourdough that's been proved. They can digest that. Or a fecal implant. 
That helps too. It's 12.46 here on 3Tube, and what a great time for a little bit of music. Uh, Pat, can you hang around for a little bit? It'd be my pleasure. Oh, indeed. That sounds great. Matt, you have some music for us? Yes. All right. I do. Everybody dance. Ooh, having fun out there? Yes, it's Sunday, and you're listening to Eat It Here on the R's, and uh, I'm here. You know who's not here? Who? We, I'm, I'm just going to add Yeah, you. Duncan, where are you? Duncan forgot. We said at the start of the show, Duncan uh, Buchanan. Duncan Buchanan. Come on and talk about wine. Uh-huh. And, uh, well, actually, he was traumatized by uh, eating en duet in uh, in France. And what, what is en duet for those? Who uh, en duet is a sausage casing filled with nasty bits. Pig's ass stuffed into pig's ass. Yeah, it's sort of chitterlings is, uh, is the term in America. Look that up, uh, folks. Vegetarians, just leave it alone. Probably the best idea. Now, um, seeing, I'm delighted that we have a little bit of time and we need to get to uh, the great lasagna cook-off. And we shall, uh, but uh, an acknowledge acknowledgement must be made because uh, Food and Wine Festival has a ongoing award uh, for um, honouring the legends of the industry as well as uh, supporting the up-and-comers. Would that be a good way of putting it? That's it. Our Legends Program honours the Victorians who've put in more than, I think it's a minimum of 15 years service in the state. Yes, uh, they can be producers, they can be chefs, they can be front of house people, restaurateurs. Mm. You know, we bestow this honour across the board, and we've been doing it for twenty five years. Mm. And there's uh, nothing like it, Cam. I don't think there's anything quite like it anywhere else in the country. No, I don't think there is. I think it's a, it's a very, very good idea. And uh, I was lucky enough to uh, get a, a seat at the table for the great and the good um, with uh, with the media pack. We you were on the naughty table. We, we were on the You're naughty on my table. table. Yes, we were. And we it was had, a good table. We had Kate Reid was there from Loon. It was good to see her. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. It sounds like I'm name dropping. Uh, but we got to go. Also, thank you because I haven't had the guts to go into the Esplanade since it's been renovated. How is that Gershwin room? Uh, Tell you what. It's pretty much the same, to be honest with you. Uh, the, the ceiling. <laughs> no, seriously. Which no, is a good thing. But no, seriously, Pat, if you look at the whole renovation that's taken place, Everything else is pretty much unrecognisable in that place. But you go into the Gershwin, the bar is still on that left-hand side. Yeah, uh, that the piece ceiling, of chewy you left under the table last time you were in there. Still there, juicy fruit, yeah. I remember you well. Um, but the stage is still up there. Look, it's it's pretty much the same. They fixed up the, the guild up there, but it was the people that were contained who, which were important. And who did you honour this year? So many legends. So many legends. Uh, If I forget any legends, I'm sorry. It's because we're running out of time. Yes. Um, By proximity, I think we have to uh, acknowledge uh, John Portelli from uh, Enoteca Salina. The man who brought the taste of, let's face it, prosciutto and uh, parmesan and all manner of Italian foodstuffs and comestibles from the Ligon Street food store. A long time ago. And if we... And now Enoteca. I mean, God. Without John... Spaghetti in this country would come out of a tin, parmesan be out of a shaky green it, thing that smells a bit still like just bomb. be living inside a jaffle, <laughs> ready um, to erupt, like I, a scene from Alien. I loved that uh, one of our other uh, newly inducted legends, the legendary Annie Smithers, yes. chef and owner of Defermia in Trentham, mm. top sort all round. When she accepted her award, she... Uh, shared a little little anecdote about how proud she was as a teenage apprentice to 
walk up to Enoteca Seleno with a card that said the bearer of this card is authorized to make purchases on behalf of Stephanie's restaurant. That's right. It takes yes. me back. Yeah. And she said every visit to the Enoteca Seleno was an education with the the wonders that have, wonders of John Portello. We can talk about John all day. We won't, we otherwise could, we won't but, talk about but, the other but, legends. But also, if you want to see one of the most beautiful food shops in the Southern Hemisphere, I would say Enoteca is, is that. I mean, relentless in its design. I mean, John is such a, a stickler for detail, and he delayed the opening of that place for ages until he got it just so. Moving on. We honoured two of our own with uh, honorary Legends Awards to uh, Melbourne Food and Wine Chair Emeritus John Haddad mm-hmm. and to our um, former CEO Natalie White. Tireless. The, the redoubtable. The redoubtable, the tireless. Uh, people have done incredible things for the food and wine scene in this state and actually as a, in Australia as a whole. Uh, we Nat White. The father of Mornington, Mornington Peninsula winemaking was recognised. I really unbelievably modest man. Oh, I gave a great he was speech. Going, didn't I he? don't know what all the fuss is about. I don't know if I really should be here. I love that when he got up, he said, "You know, there's, there's, uh, you know, all these people have gotten up and spoke about their wonderful food and wine that they had growing up." And he said, "I came from a Methodist family. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't until I went to university." Yes. That I tasted alcohol. It, it was it was sherry and it was compulsory. Yes. <laughs> From such humble beginnings. Um, who else did we have? Can there's so Cornish. much. Oh my goodness, the Richard dog. Cornish, the corn dog. Yeah. You know, a man who has not left any corner of this state unexamined in his. I'm going to say it again. Tireless uh, exploration of great food from pasture to plate. Yes. Uh, you know, Great advocate for the region. I don't think we put it in the citation, but his uh, impersonation of Stefano Di Pieri is probably worth an award in and of itself. And actually several other of the, the luminaries of the Melbourne food scene. Tony Tan. Have to get uh, Richard on the, the show for yes. that one day. Oh, he, will ne- he will never do that on here. He's From the uh, I can't believe this person hasn't been inducted into this Hall of Fame already. List was the incredible Con Christopoulos, yes. restaurateur extraordinaire, the man who made Melbourne Melbourne, I guess, in many ways. He defines the Melbourne look, and he got up and said, Legends, I thought I was here for a Trailblazer Award. I'm just getting started. Yeah, well, and he's just got started with a new place in Burke Street. Now, so congratulations to all those people and the little bit of time that we have left. You were locked uh, rubbing horns together in a... A three, competition, three-way a lasagna three competition. Three lasagna competition. It was uh, me and my uh, girlfriend, Helen Rosebury, an extraordinary sh- cook in her own right. My Hello, Helena. Hello, Helena. My boss, Anthea Lucas Bosher, the CEO of Melbourne Food and Wine, and her husband, Trust Bosher, uh, food people to the core. And some knockabout, you know, guy who likes to cook occasionally called Ben Shuri and Ben's partner, Kylie Stadden. So, uh, look, when Anthea told her mum that she was having a lasagna cook-off and there was a chef involved and Anthea's mum said, oh, who's the chef? And she said, Ben Shuri. And Ant's mum came back. She's very blunt, Anthea's mum. She said, you're stupid. Yes. What are you doing that for? Yes. But I got to say, but he's not Italian, though. He's not Italian. You know, no, look, and, was, and, and I, have I to imagine say, the finger didn't come up and go, ah, what does he know? We had uh, Swiss people at the table. We had Zimbabwean people at the table. We had Greek Ooh. Cypriots at the table. We had New Zealanders. Sounds like a start of a joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had no Italians. So, yes. 
look, there was a whole lot of delicious lasagna and it's another episode in itself, Cam. What can I say? Well, you know that uh, Ben Shu, one of his, you know what his favourite Christmas food is? Lasagna. Get it. Yeah, hey, um, you amazed me years ago. I said, well, what do you, what's your favourite thing to cook for Christmas? He goes, you know, I love lasagna. And he said, yeah, it makes sense. It's all there. You just throw yeah. it in the oven. Uh, what's the secret to that one in uh, in 20 words or less? Mediterranean wholesalers, fresh pasta, lamb ragu, lots of bones. We will have to have a separate uh, chat about what makes ragu ragu, but if you're not chucking, if you're making a meat-based ragu of any kind and you're yes. not chucking in extra bones, you are not doing it as well as you might. You're not this a serious person. <laughs> Cross the off. mic. Cross the mic and signing off. And mic drop. Boom. Pat, lovely to see you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, Cam. Thank you, Matt. Uh, thank you, Tony Eldred, if you've got the radio on as you're driving off to uh, lunch somewhere on this Sunday. <laughs> Have a nice Sunday it is. Actually, um, that was a good laugh. Next. <laughs> Next Sunday, Cam. Yeah. Uh, we have on... You sent me the little list of who we have on. I did. You want to read it out? Uh, I haven't got the list in front of me. Uh, Do you okay. want to read the list? I have a list. Uh, Renee Beale. Um, she's going to be talking about extrasensory, uh, an amazing event that's going to be happening in Parliament House. Uh, we've got a hard case Harden, uh, Michael <laughs> Harden, from a place that you might have worked at a, a little while ago for a little bit of time, Gourmet Traveller. And my God. And <laughs> hopefully, although this hasn't been confirmed... Um, uh, Sabah Alameo from Sabah in Brunswick Street, mm. bringing the joys of Ethiopian cuisine and injure bread to uh, the good people around the place. So, yeah, fingers crossed for that. Mm, sounds good. In the meantime, still here is up next. We should go. We're running late Where's there. In the other, in the other studio over there. What are you guys doing oh, over there? Yeah, that studio doesn't work anymore. Very much like it over uh, there. Hi, you guys. <laughs> All right, we'll um, we'll throw to them. Stick around for the afternoon because why would you want to be anywhere else? Thanks for listening. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Thank you, Pat. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.